Welcome to the Senia Happy Hour Podcast with your host, Lori Bull. We know you're busy, so we bring you one hour's worth of content in under 30 minutes, leaving you time for a true happy hour. Hello, everyone. Today, I speak with Tim Viegas, who's the Director of Communications of MCIE, or the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, which is a nonprofit that envisions a society where neighborhood schools welcomes all learners and creates the foundation for inclusive communities. He's the founder of Think Inclusive, MCIE's blog and podcast. And while this is a U.S.-based organization, their message of inclusion is globally recognized. Today, Tim and I speak about MCIE and their impact, discuss the three main things that stands in the way of schools becoming more inclusive, and discuss the fact that for inclusion to happen, it must start at the top. So be sure to share this podcast with your school administrator. And now, on to the show. Well, hello, Tim, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lori. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm super happy to have you here. Um, I'm a fan of your podcast, Think Inclusive, and excited that you'll be one of our speakers at our virtual conference coming up here in November. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be great. Yeah. So today we'll be talking about inclusion. I mean, it's why both of our organizations exist your organization, MCIE, and Senya. So to start, what's your definition of inclusion or inclusive education? Sure. Um, We typically explain it in um, four pillars uh, or bullet points, (laughs) I guess you could say. (laughs) Um, Inclusion is, it's hard to define because usually you can think of it in a way that it's a belief system and it's also a practice. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there's confusion in just the word and what it means. Um, But really like if you're implementing inclusive education, you typically already have the belief system Mm -hmm. that inclusion uh, is important. And so where we start when we're defining inclusive education is placement. And what I mean by placement is that learners with uh, disabilities are included in the same spaces and classrooms as uh, typically developing children and learners. Um, You know, there's a lot of different places where, where we live and we move and we play, right? There's, there's your home, um, there's your place of worship, um, there's where you go get your groceries, there's, you know, where you go, uh, you go to parks and you engage in the community. But school is one of the only places in, um, in our world where it's okay, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. to segregate. Right. Right. And so in schools, for some reason, it is acceptable. Um, so placement and where learners are in a school environment is very important to us when we're describing inclusion. So that's number one is place. Um, the next three, uh, I'll just, I'll clump together cause I think they're important is membership, participation, and learning. And, uh, that the 
MPL, uh, there's actually indicators that we have on our website. Uh, if you go to mcie.org and go to our resources tab page, uh, there are some indicators that you can download. And that uh, is largely driven by the work at the from the University of New Hampshire, uh, Dr. Cheryl Jorgensen and Michael McShean, um, who have de developed the Beyond Access model. So what do I mean by membership participation and learning? Membership is really a sense of belonging. So when we are included in a classroom or a group, uh, do we feel like we belong? Do we feel like we're a part of the community? Are we missed when we're gone? Um, do we have lasting and authentic relationships and friendships? And that's so important to everyone, not, not just learners with disabilities, but, but everyone, everyone should feel like, you know, they belong in community. Um, and then participation, uh, what are learners actually doing when they are in the class? Are they in a separate area, just like, you know, an, an island in the mainstream? Um, like, a, I think it was Michael Jean Greco has a great cartoon that, that depicts this, where you have a classroom of, of learners, and in the very back, you have a learner with disability and a paraprofessional, and they're probably doing something completely different. Um, that they're that doesn't feel it doesn't um, seem like that learner is a member of that class, and they're not really participating in the life of that class. You know, does the learner have a classroom job like everybody else? Um, does is the learner part of the uh, routines and rituals of the classroom? So those are the kinds of things that we're talking about with participation. Um, and then finally, learning. You know, um, I like to tell this story about learning because my background is in a um, segregated uh, special education classroom. So I taught uh, for many years in the public schools. And when I was just learning about inclusion and trying to you know, figure it out, uh, I thought that I was being inclusive because I was giving grade level access, access to grade level material and curriculum uh, to learners. Now, I taught in a kindergarten through fifth grade class. So that's six grade levels. Wow. <laughs> so you tell me, Lori, how, how easy is it to give access to grade level standards uh, across six grade levels? Uh, in one school year. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. So even though I did my best and even though, you know, I, I remember this, you know, I'm remembering this um, uh, instance where, you know, we would get, we would get money sometimes from like the parent teacher association or even sometimes from the, the uh, federal, the, the state government to purchase materials. And so I, went to, I think the local, you know, school box or, yeah. uh, you know, local educational supply store. And, uh, I bought a whole bunch of like supplemental, uh, materials in history, like civil war and, um, you know, uh, science materials and, you know, curriculum that, that could supplement what I was doing in the class. And I remember my principal was like, well, look at you, Tim, you know, <laughs> 
teaching about the civil war. Like she was just so blown away that I would even think of doing that. Right. You know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> the expectations yeah. are just, they're just so low. No, they're just right. so low. They need so, to learn uh, their colors. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Count to one, count to one with uh count um, with one-to-one correspondence yes, and, exactly. you know, stuff like that and, and handwriting and all this stuff that we, you know, make these kids do over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that I was giving, um, yeah, I mean, I was giving access, but I thought I was being inclusive, uh, without really putting together that you can't have an inclusive school. If you continue the practice of segregating students by disability, you just, it's, it's just not possible. They're, they're incongruent. Um, you, you can't have the, the, the same thing. And so once I realized that, and once I started to really understand that, you know, place membership, participation, and learning all come together to form this larger vision of, of inclusion and inclusive education. Um, that's when I started really making a change in my own career to, you know, have an exit strategy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you mentioned your your history a bit, but that you started in a in a special ed classroom. Is that correct? And That's then how correct. did how did you get interested in the field in the first place? Um well I wanted to be a counselor in college. So I got my degree in psychology. And the last class I took for my degree was called the psychology of the exceptional child. And I thought that I was going to learn about gifted kids. Oh, yes. Um, And I went to a private school, um, a a private Christian school in uh, Pasadena, California. And I also went to a a private Christian liberal arts college in Southern California uh, at Azusa Pacific. Right. And um, it was all wonderful. And I, I have... You know, I had a great experience there, but I had no exposure to special education or any sort of systematic way to support learners with disabilities. Now, looking back, I could see that there were learners with disabilities in my classes and in my school, but it wasn't pointed out. It wasn't a big thing. You know, people got extra things or quote unquote special things, but it was just part of the, it was part of my education. It, it, it wasn't anything separate. And so when I went at, for an assignment, I went and I visited a, what we would now call like a resource classroom or a, you know, a math resource middle school um classroom for you know probably seventh or eighth grade i visited and i saw a small group of students and the teacher was in front of the classroom and he, he had a hawaiian shirt on and uh <laughs> he was pretty chill they worked on some math and they went to their next class it it just, it didn't seem that much different to me than a regular class. I, I didn't understand why there was a small group. Um, and so I didn't really think about it. I just kind of tucked it away and, and went about my day and, you know, I completed my assignment and it wasn't until I graduated and was looking for a job that um, I started, 
I, I uh, got a job as a behavior therapist for young children with autism. And that was really what got me interested in uh, supporting people with disabilities. Now, I have a, I do have a cousin with uh, some developmental disabilities, and my brother-in-law um, is autistic. Uh, he's, an, he's an adult now, lives uh, in California, which is where I'm from, I come from California. And so, you know, and I certainly have uh, friends with uh, different kinds of disabilities. So there, it's always been a part of my life and, you know, but I did not set out to be a special education teacher or be involved with uh, inclusive education. It just, it just sort of happened. And as far as inclusion goes, when I got my first job and I started teaching, in a, um, it was a classroom. It was in California, so we call them we call them special day classes. I think I'm pretty sure right. they still call them that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a special day class for students with moderate to severe autism, and so it was four, five, and six. That that those were the grades, and it was a very small class, so four or five students. Um, I had two paraprofessionals um, over the course of my, I think it was four years that I taught there, and really they, they had some extensive support needs, you know, sensory behavior, um, communication. What I was taught in my teacher education program, which was, you know, to support inclusive education. When I went out into the field and got a job, that's not how schools are run. Right. They just, and not in my experience. And so I was very much skeptical of the whole inclusion thing. I thought that, well, maybe these professors just don't know my kids. <laughs> they just, <laughs> right. They yep, just I don't guess. know what it takes to really teach, you know, the kinds of kids that I have in my classroom. And so uh, in California, you can you get a job as a teacher before you're fully credentialed. So I had a, like a provisional certificate. And so that's how I got my first job. And so I was still going to school and my professor said, uh, why don't you create an inclusion plan for one of your students? And then um, this is an assignment and you have to, you have to follow up with a general education teacher and include the student for a, a portion of their day. And I was like, this ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to work. But I said, okay, you know, again, it's an assignment. Um, so I, I uh, followed the the rubric, the, the the plan, and it was really to develop a plan around the student's strengths. So what is the student really good at? And um, I think I usually call the student Nathan. So let's say Nathan, um, he was really great at cutting. And he was really, he, he had a, a lot of sensory needs. So he would tear a paper and he would cut um, he, he cut really well, actually. And I believe he was in fifth grade. And so I collaborated with the fifth grade teacher and the, the assignment was, um, to create uh, 3d topography maps out of cardboard. And so the teacher said, well, look, we can have uh, Nathan cut the cardboard and, um, in, you know, he could participate in the class and that's something he's good at. So I'm like, great, this is, this is awesome. So we go down there and he sits with his, 
you know, group and classmates and cuts. And, you know, this was a, a learner that had some real significant sensory needs and had some trouble with, you know, challenging behavior. And there was, there was nothing, nothing happened. Right. He just sat and cut. Mm-hmm. And and so at the end of the, it was like 40, 45 minutes. And I'm like, all right, Nathan, let's go back, you know? And I just reflected and, and I thought, well, that was easy. Like all you had to do was plan. Yeah. <laughs> you just had to plan for it. And so it was at that moment that I realized, oh, I could do this with everybody. I just, I just need to plan for it and plan for the success of the learner and not just put kids with and without disabilities together with no plan and hope for the best. That is an inclusion. Right. Yeah. Having a shadow teacher run around after a student all day long, just <laughs> uh, nothing makes me more frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the important question to follow back on is, did you ever wear a Hawaiian shirt? Did I ever like wear that? A, like that teacher that you went to? That's a great question. <laughs> I I think I wore a Hawaiian shirt at least once. It wasn't your goal, though, huh? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> gotcha. No, no. Uh, my goal was to wear uh, jeans, just like every other teacher. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to. Wear, I I don't know about I don't know about you or anyone else listening, but um. But the things you have to do just to wear jeans in a school, man. Oh, I know. You have to pay. <laughs> got to pay money. It has you gotta, to be a Friday. You got to fundraise. Yeah. You got to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about MCIE, which is the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. Uh, tell us how you support schools and districts in the U.S. Sure. So we primarily do three things and then um, one bonus, one bonus item that I like to say. So number one, we uh, partner with schools uh, on school transformation. And that is typically a three to five year partnership where uh, we work with a um, inclusive leadership development team uh, that identifies certain schools in the district that we're working with. We Typically, that first year is just going over and having a, a shared understanding of what inclusive education really means, kind of like what we just talked about, the you know the placement, membership, participation, and learning. Uh, we bring in lots of different resources, um, not only the ones that we've created, but ones, um, you know, uh, videos and books and articles and uh, perspectives from disabled people uh, to just unpack all of the ableism that we really kind of have, you know, mm-hmm. um, that we we're not even aware of. Uh, and so a lot of that first year is just, uh, culture building. And then there's a, uh, um, a, uh, a, a tool called the quality indicators for inclusive education, which is a self-assessment tool, uh, that we go through with our partners and in the tool it identifies certain priority areas because every school is different. Every school district is different. So typically first you need everyone on board or at least the majority of the leadership on board uh, with the mindset. And then you go into the actual practices of what makes the school district inclusive. 
Um, so that school transformation, again, that's three to five years, uh, sometimes longer. Uh, the other thing that we do, the second thing we do is professional development and workshops. So we can customize um, training for any district uh, wherever they are on their inclusion journey. So sometimes that means we provide co-teaching um, training. Sometimes that means it's just uh, about what is what are inclusive schools. And um, sometimes it's about roles and relationships of general and special education teachers. Sometimes it's paraprofessionals. So it really just depends on the, the needs of the district. And then the third thing we do is learner, individual learner planning. So if, this is typically for learners who have extensive support needs. Um, but really it's for any school district and family where they're having a difficult time knowing how to include a, a learner. You know, the mindset is there, they want to, but they just in practice um, aren't sure. So we have some person-centered planning tools that we provide and we facilitate and we end up at the end of that having uh, an inclusion plan that's designed for that learner. That's and nice. the final, the the bonus thing is all of the dissemination that we do. So we have um, our podcast, Think Inclusive. Um, I write at our blog, thinkinclusive.us. Um, anything that we create for social media, um, you know, going on other podcasts. So everything that we do that that's outward facing uh, in advocating for systems change in school districts. Right. And you're particularly tailored to the U.S. District Correct. US. Correct. We have done some professional learning for uh, organizations and schools outside the U.S., um, but but for now, you know, um, at least the partnerships that we that we provide are are with U.S.-based schools. Right. Yeah, makes sense. And your name is Maryland, but I understand you are in multiple states. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. So MCIE has been around since the late 80s, and we've been doing this work for a long time. Um, and when we first started, we were mostly grant funded by the Maryland State Department of Education. And over the last 10 or so years, we've expanded our work to work uh, in, uh, in other school districts outside of Maryland. And currently we're in Illinois. Virginia, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, and that list is growing. Great. That's exciting. <laughs> yes, really exciting. Well, I watched a web what excuse me, a webinar that you did today and you and your counterpart was it Debbie? What? Uh Carolyn, Dr. Carolyn's, Carolyn Teaglin. Yeah. Dr. Carolyn Teaglin, sorry. Uh so I watched that webinar today and you discussed three main reasons schools don't include learner include all learners or uh, things that get in the way. And those were mm. fear, lack of skills and beliefs. And I'm curious, how do you get started with inclusive practices in schools or districts when one, two or three of these things are standing in the way? Well, uh, you know, my perspective has changed when I was a, a school teacher, when I was a classroom teacher, I thought that all I needed to do was include my students. So I had learners 
um, you know, like I said, in a self-contained special day class in California and, and when I was in Georgia and, um, it, and it, it was a classroom for students with profound, severe and profound intellectual disabilities is what they called it. So all different kinds of names for it. But I thought, well, if I could just show my school that my learners, my kids belonged in general education and I could make it successful, that would alleviate those fears, right? Alleviate and change belief systems at my school. And I, for the most part, was, you know, somewhat successful at including my students. But the, in, you know, in that, in my particular school in, in Georgia, I was one of four uh, special education classrooms. Mm-hmm. And out of those four, uh, did I see a dramatic increase of other educators, including learners? No, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Right. I did not. Um, what it came down to was people would uh, compliment and say, Tim is doing a great job at including his kids, you know, and the families would be appreciative and they would say, wow, Tim, thank, thank you so much for advocating for my, you know, for my child, which was great. And I, and I loved it and I, I wouldn't change it, but that did not change the culture of the school in a significant way. I, I think that it did in, in some respects. Sure. And I think that the school was probably, um, you know, they, they move it. We moved farther along than if I had done nothing. Um, but what I found was the learners when they went the late, they left elementary school and went to middle school. Once they got to middle school, it was like starting from zero. Yeah. Starting from, you know, square one. And so my point in saying that is that we really need to start at leadership. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times inclusion gets put on um, families because they're the ones advocating for it and teachers because they're, they're the ones that are day to day trying to make it work. Um, but really the, the, where we should be leaning are principles and, um, general education administrators. So, you know, associate superintendents of, you know, curriculum and, um, learning or, you know, directors of uh, teaching and learning, um, even, even all the way up to the superintendent, because inclusion is not a special education initiative. It's, it's for all learners. It's for everyone. And so when, inclusive practices are advocated by the special education department or by special education, you know, special educators, it ends up uh, being framed as a special education thing. Right. And so um, you can, you know, 
you know, we talked about fears, skills, and beliefs. Um, you know, the fears come from not knowing, not knowing um, what, what you don't know, you know, and the skills, if you're just coming, if you're just trying to implement inclusive practices from the special education lens, um, you know, just in sheer numbers, there are more general education teachers in school districts than there are special education teachers. So even if you had a hundred percent of special educators on board, you're still in the minority. Um, what we need to do is equip and build the capacity of general education teachers to teach all learners. And that's where that skills come that comes in and beliefs. Um, you know, we need to frame it um, and convince other people that inclusion is, is important. Um, in, in my perspective, it's, it's about sharing stories. It's about sharing success stories. And then also stories, of, uh, you know, um, of growth. You know, I, uh, I, I try to embrace my, <laughs> my, I try to embrace the way that I, uh, felt before and share the growth that I've made because, sure. I think that a lot of people maybe are, are where I was. I don't know if I said that grammatically correct, but um, people maybe have an idea that inclusion is the right thing, but it's not until you hear someone's story and how they move through their journey that they can sometimes see themselves in that journey. Yeah. And I think it's also important you did in your webinar, you shared uh, research and test scores and how they improved for the people with the disabilities in the classroom and also for their, their peers. And I thought that was really an important point for people to understand, you know, yeah. that it doesn't impact the learning of the other students in a negative way. It actually impacts them in a positive manner. So, yeah, it's like we have the same brain when it comes to, uh, Starting with the top, it has to start with admin and they have to, they have to take it on and they have to share that belief and make it a district-wide or school-wide belief and help support all their teachers in the growth of, yeah, in that area. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's going to be a long process, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> but um, those have, have done it ultimate success, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's no, um, there's nothing about what we're doing in the U S that isn't, um, that doesn't apply to any school. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because it's really, it's, I mean, when you get down to it, yes, there are best practices, right. Uh, of teaching. Um, but, Ultimately, it's about the mindset of of school leaders and the ones that have the power to make change. Mm -hmm. And that is universally, it doesn't matter what school you're at. You could be at a private school. You could be at an international school. You could be at a school in Canada. You could be a school in Mexico. You can be a school in, in China. It doesn't matter. Um, it has to uh, come from the top. And so there's nothing about these reflective practices that really um, you know, that it only works in, in the U S yeah, it's not U S centric. It's right. worldwide. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Agree. Yeah. 
Well, um, sorry, lost myself. That's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna take a drink Thank of water. God for at it. Uh, <laughs> um, got that, got that. Oh, oh okay. Ready? So here's a big question for you. I was really impressed today when when you both stated that inclusion is a civil right. So how how do we shift society's thinking about that? <laughs> you have that, Tim? Wow, Can you yeah, answer it? yeah, we're just gonna solve this right here, right here, right now. <laughs> um, well, I think we need to, I think, it, and this is myself included, we need to be better at, at, um, sharing success stories, you know, um, like for instance, um, Dr. Carolyn Teaglin, who's our CEO, uh, she was the associate superintendent in Cecil County public schools. And they started this work in Cecil County in the early two thousands. Now, back in the early two thousands, uh, they had center-based programs, which, you know, is just another name for segregated and self-contained Right. disability specific classrooms. And it took them about 10 years to dismantle it. Ten years. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was, um, the, uh, MCIE was involved with that systems change process. And so it takes a long time. Um, now sometimes it doesn't take that long, but I think that the point is, is that they started Right. Right. And so, and, um, and now, you know, Carolyn is, is, um, you know, our leader, our, our CEO, but I was able to just last fall. So actually this, this past school year in, um, I think it was, was it September? Um, I went up and visited Cecil County and I was able to, uh, tour the schools and talk to school leaders and, You know, so they had been, they've been doing this work since, you know, for, for 20 years, essentially. And I asked, I said, do you know how unique you, you are like in the grand scheme of all school districts? Um, the fact that you, you know, don't have any disability specific programs, uh, you create your master schedule with. you know, learners with disabilities in mind, and you are not congregating them in one particular class, but you are, you've naturally distributed them across, you know, grade levels and you have, um, you know, a robust way to, to support learners with, uh, you know, mental health needs and, you know, all these things that are markers for inclusive schools. And I said, do you realize how unique that is? And they're like, this is just who we are, Yeah. you know? And, um, it's funny how much they don't think about what's happening in other places. Yeah. It's just Right. their culture. Right. So yeah. It's just their That. culture. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and what the other thing that I felt was interesting about, uh, Cecil County was that the school leaders were, uh, were people or 
you know, were students in Cecil County. So what they ended up doing is well, they went, they went through their program. They went through their school system, graduated, went and got their education degrees and came back yes. to work in, in the school district that they grew up in. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, just how powerful is that? You know, that you've created a culture of belonging that's so strong that um, you don't want to move. <laughs> you know? Yeah, people flock to come back. I love that. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. So I think we need to do a better job of of telling those stories and, and collecting them and mm-hmm. and sharing them because I, I think that when people hear stories, um, that is way more compelling to, to change their mind than if I give them the research. Yeah. Well, that's what we hope to do at our upcoming conference. We're going to be amplifying the voices of inclusion and you're part of that, Tim. So thank you in advance. And I think that's all we have time for today. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great day. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, including how to subscribe and show notes, please head to our website, that's senyainternational.org slash podcasts. Until next time, cheers.